ask you to pull your phone or your old-fashioned Bible that has pages in it that you can turn and write in, or iPad or device, whatever you use to connect with God's Word, and put God's Word right up in your own face today. Think of it this way. If you go to a family dinner, you don't expect somebody to come over and spoon-feed you all the food on the table. you got to pull up to the table and feed what? Yourself. So we're going to do the same thing for, with the word here this morning. While you're doing that, let's join together and pray. If you'd like to bow your heads and close your eyes, or if you'd like to open your hands and open your eyes and look through the ceiling to the sky, just join me in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today in your presence. Thank you for the opportunity to open up the word and to sharpen these swords that you've given us, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the word of truth. As we dive into Romans 15 today, God, we ask that indeed you would help us to take inventory of our own souls and hearts. Help us to look at our habits and our words, our speech, our thoughts. And at the same time, help us to fully digest the power of the living hope of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus that says, you know what, even if you fail, if you try and fail, I'm going to love you anyway, and I'm going to be here with you along the way as you get back up on your feet. That is a living, working faith, God. And so we thank you for that faith, and we thank you for the opportunity to refine and rediscover that faith here together this morning. We ask all this in your name and ask you to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, and again, what our habit has been throughout this series is we've been taking like full chapters of Romans, which by the way, as an expository teacher, that's my training. As an expository teacher, it's sometimes challenging to look at a whole passage of scripture for one message. Because you can literally take Romans apart word by word and every word and every phrase and every sentence has purpose and meaning. It's been placed there by the Holy Spirit through Paul for a specific reason, and that is to speak to all the generations to come after that first Roman church that was read the letter. In that Roman church, there were Jews. There were people who had the experience of being a part of the family of Israel from way, way back in its past. And then there were Romans who were Gentiles. What's a Gentile? A Gentile is simply not a Jew. That's all it is. So unless you're Jewish in this room today, every single one of us from the oldest to the youngest is a Gentile. And what God was doing in Rome is he was putting together Jews and Gentiles in one family of God, in one congregation. And he was literally spending chapters of scripture teaching them how to be towards each other. Sometimes they would be tempted to look at each other and judge each other or to take each other for ta to task for habits they had, traditions they had, or words they would speak, or things that they would get involved in. And Paul was basically guiding them. It's just like Vendetta was saying earlier. Paul was guiding them in how to edify each other. Now that's just a fancy word for supporting each other, getting under and behind each other, and lifting each other which way? Up. That's what edification means. And so as we look in the scripture, we're going to see tidbits of how to carry on the work of edification, knowing that we fall into the grace of Jesus Christ, not just once at baptism, but how often? Every single day. You have a bad day on Monday 
and you fall and you mess up, you come back to the Lord and say, God, I blew it. God says, I know you blew it. I'm God. I love you. Now let me help you back up again. Every single day from now through eternity. So what we've been doing is we've been taking snapshots of this scripture and boiling it down to a paragraph or two and then picking apart the words in such a way that we can learn from at least three key concepts. Now what you heard read this morning was one version of scripture, the amplified version, which has a lot of really great language in it. What you see on the screen is the new international version, which I tend to default to. But what I'd also like to read to you after I read this version on screen is a version from the message. This was a version that we read at Angus and Lindy's small group on Tuesday night, and it just really blossoms the concepts of what we're about to get into. So let's do the NIV first. Paul says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please who? Ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to what? To build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, the endurance taught in the scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have what? Hope, a key concept for a Christian. Hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind together toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, read it again and listen to these words. This is the same passage in the message version. Paul writes, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service. I love that. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way the scripture puts it. Even if it was written in scripture a long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus. I love that beautiful language, especially the idea about strength being for serving. Our culture is saturated with the idea that we need to be stronger. We need to work out more. We need to save more. We need to be more. We need to achieve more so that our personal position is one of strength. But then God takes that concept and flips it around on its rear end and says, you know what? Whatever strength you have comes from me and is meant for one thing only, and that is to serve others. 
So let's dive into this. Each one of us should please our neighbors for their good, the scripture says, to build them up. Now, what we're not talking about is the idea of pleasing our neighbors so that they will be happy with us. That is a psychological uh, pattern of behavior called people-pleasing. I grew up in the South where people-pleasing is an art form. People like to talk to each other for very long periods of time and actually say nothing because they want people to be happy with them. They want people to be pleased with them. And a lot of times that's even to our own relational detriment. Up here in the Midwest, we don't have so much time for pleasantries like that. We like to get to the point here in the Midwest and move on, do we not? But Paul calls both sides of that culture to a different set of behaviors. The idea is this, we please each other to build each other up. And I would add to that and clarify that to build each other up toward the kingdom of God. To build each other up, not for its own purposes, but to build each other up in the name of Jesus for his purposes. You will have three sets of people that you will encounter in life when you attempt to serve them and please them for their own good and to demonstrate to them what life with God is like. The first group is a group who will say no. Thank you. I respect your position in life, but I don't want any of your Jesus. Just be nice to me. That's all I'm asking you to do. Then there's a second group who will kind of be curious. You'll be living your life in Jesus and they'll kind of just kind of look around the corner a little bit at you and wonder what makes that person different. And maybe, maybe, maybe I should investigate a little bit as to what makes them tick and see if some of that might rub off on me. And then there's a third group of people with whom you build relationships who are close enough where you can sit right next to each other and text each other. That is true intimacy, is it not? <laughs> when you can sit next to your spouse, and I mean next in the next room to your spouse or your best friend, and text each other, what would you like for dinner tonight? Instead of getting up and walking into the next room. When you've achieved this level of intimacy, then you are with people that we call persons of peace. Can you say persons of peace with me? Persons of peace. Here's the idea. Throughout the ages, Christians have been tempted to try to proselytize and convert people who didn't want to talk to them, who didn't want to hang out with them. And a lot of Christians worked really hard and got really frustrated with that. And a lot of Christians walked away from the faith because of the experience that they had. Now, it's not to say that as a Christ follower, you won't have hard times. We do have hard times. But when we're sharing our faith, God has got an immediate palette to paint new faith on in the canvas of warm and pleasant relationships. Here's what that means. God is going to bring people into your life who are persons of peace. That means they are people who want to be around you without you having to try to force them, beg them, or buy them into your life. They will simply be there because God has led them there supernaturally, placed them in the course of your life for you to get to know and love and hang out with. They are called persons of peace. What makes a person of peace is that person wants to be around you because they like you, and they want to spend time with you. 
Now, if you don't have any persons of peace in your life whatsoever, let's talk after the service. Maybe you just need some social skill training. I don't know. I would wager that every single person in the room has at least one person of peace. And Aaron says, amen and amen. Every single one of us has that person of peace. It may be a teenage child that you're raising. It may be a friend at work. It may be a a distant family member that you connect with through Facebook. It may be your neighbor next door. Somebody in your life wants to be around you. And the person that God has placed in your life for that reason is placed there so that together you may experience God. God has placed that person in your life so that together you may experience him. Here's how that looks for us at Trinity. Now, some of you that have been with me on a discipleship visit that Vendetta referred to earlier have seen this graphic. Pastor Nick Price drew this up, and I just stole it right right from him shamefully. Thank you, Nick. Awesome graphic. What it shows is a progression of relationship at Trinity where we grow to be more like Jesus. We grow into disciples of Christ. On-ramps are places like uh, the Trinity Early Childhood Center, the Chinese New Year Party, uh, the Christmas Ornament Making Party, the Easter Egg Hunt at the Tech. These are places where we can get to know each other and build relationships together. And from those on-ramp experiences, God leads us into relationships with people who want to discover more. They begin asking questions about the faith. They begin asking about the church fellowship. This gives us an opportunity to share Trinity's values with them. We worship, we connect, we serve, we're accountable to each other, we lead, we share, uh, we grow together in faith. We have several different values that we begin to share with people as they come closer and discover. And then at some point along the way, people make an intrinsic commitment to join together with other people in our fellowship in relationships. We believe that that happens best in the small group venue. That's why we emphasize small groups. Small groups are the single best place for people to grow as disciples of Jesus. Why? Because you're not being visited by a professional, by a pastor. You're being visited by a friend who knows you, cares about you, and sees you on a regular basis, and that person is performing pastoral care in your life just by hanging out with you and being a part of your life, sharing in God's word. You see, God is using average, normal, everyday people every single day to bring people into his kingdom. That is his design. That's how he made it. We believe that people at Trinity can grow as people of peace across this continuum of discovering more of Trinity's values, joining small groups, and then ultimately becoming what we call a discipler. A discipler is someone who joins together with another person or two, a person of peace who wants to be around them, and together they begin to grow as disciples in the Lord and share the word of God together and life's experiences together. People who are in small group may be discipling each other, or they may be discipling people outside of the group. But what we firmly believe at Trinity is that people of peace 
dwell in this continuum between those two lines and that every single one of us has the giftedness we need already to be in small group relationship with other Christians and also to grow discipling other Christians. Every single one of us. It doesn't take a pastor to do that. In fact, sometimes pastors can get, a, get in the way of this kind of activity because they want to do it for their congregations. But congregations were not built for that. Congregations were built to disciple each other and those outside their fellowship. That is what we were made for. And pastors who are doing their job understand that and effectuate that kind of activity. They fire it up, they ignite it, they get under it and behind it and lift it up. Here's what that looks like for us. The idea as we continue in the scriptures, for even Christ did not please himself, but the insults, as is written in the scripture says, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Jesus saw in the future that the insults of people were going to fall on him when he was coming into the world. And he took that on for you and me. He took our punishment on so that we would not have to endure the psychological and emotional effects of that punishment. Here's what I mean by that. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the what? The encouragement they provide. We might have hope. Now let me explain something to you really quick. In life, there are two basic paths to run on. One is a path of hope, and one is a path of the alternative. We'll learn what that is. Hope looks like this. Merriam-Webster says, Hope is to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. Uh, sort of examples are, I hope she remembers, or uh, we hope to be invited. There's something coming in the future that we can reasonably expect is going to come true, and we really want that to come true. That's called hope. For the Christ follower, what is that? The Christ follower says, because God loves me and gave Jesus to die for me and rise again from the grave for me, I have hope from now for how long? Into eternity that God is with me and goes before me and takes my hand and walks with me. There is never a day that God leaves me nor forsakes me. There's never a day like that because of Jesus. We can always have Jesus by our side. But the opposite of that, uh, that idea is despair. Despair is an utter loss of what? Hope. The definition of despair has hope in it. Despair is the utter loss of hope, as in it's a cry of despair, a gave up in despair. It's a cause of hopelessness where that thing that I see in the future that I really want to happen is never going to happen and I have coalesced to that idea. That's what despair is. Despair is the opposite of hope. The scriptures refer to these, con these two ideas and concepts. Hope deferred or pushed back makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life, Proverbs 13. Hope deferred or put off. You guys probably know this family. These are the Witkowskis. They're usually sitting about right over there. Right now, Eric is in a hospital in St. Louis because he was involved in an ATV accident, now going on more than a week, and he almost lost his arm. 
He's had three surgeries, and as we sit here today together, one of our brothers is in hospital with his arm open to see how much of the muscle tissue is dead and how much of it is going to live. He's got screws and plates in his arm. His wife is there with him, and they have Lorena, who is a student at Trinity Early Childhood Center, and they're trying to figure out when to start Lorena back to school because Eric is in the middle of this trial. The one thing that encouraged my heart the most about our fellowship over the last week is that for the entire last week, as Eric has been laying there half conscious and Sabrina has been helping provide his care, is that Facebook Messenger has absolutely blown up with encouragements and prayers all day and all night for this family. Now add to that Ruth, who's been in and out of the hospital, Linda, who's been in and out of the hospital, Baby's Wetler, who's come along, and they've been trying to get their lives going again in a direction that's somewhat predictable. Amen and amen, right, Lindsay? And we've got all these things going on in our lives, and what I'm seeing this fellowship do, which just makes my heart sing, is care for each other. You have picked up the baton. You have carried it. You've jumped on and you've encouraged each other. You've gone beyond the call of duty. You've made meals and delivered them. You'd offered to go and visit and be the hands of Jesus, hands and feet of Jesus to people who needed you. And you showed up. This is God at work in you. This is the way we were called to live. This is what it means in the scripture when Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope. That's not a hope that's either dead or trying to live. That's a hope that's alive. That's a hope that you can feel. It moves, it breathes, it speaks, it acts through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This is what Peter was talking about. The idea that hope lives and that hope is alive in you and me. Did you notice a few minutes ago when we introduced the idea of hope and despair? Notice how hope was in the definition of despair, but despair was not in the definition of hope. Here's what that looks like. The scripture says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The Bible says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, here's the key to this idea of hope and despair. Go into your closet at home where there are no windows. Shut the door behind you and turn off the light. Look around and ask yourself, what do I see? And yourself will answer back, nothing. And yourself can say, why? Yourself can answer back because it's dark and then flick a bick or turn on a light or turn on your cell phone and open up Facebook, which is really bright, and a light shines in the darkness. See, here's the idea. Darkness cannot overtake light. It's not possible. Only light can overtake darkness. Darkness is a state of being and light comes in and invades it and breaks it up. Light invades it and breaks it up. In the same way, hope invades despair. Despair cannot disrupt hope. Hope comes into despair and destroys it, upends it, fulfills a life 
that is experiencing it and turns that around and makes it into hope. So the scripture says this, May the God who gives this endurance and encouragement through the hope we've received give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to invite the kids back in and we're going to hear some music and sing some music and we're going to pray. But what I want you to hear as they come into the room and join us are these words. You are engaged in a living hope here in your fellowship. You're engaged with each other and by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the work you were made for. So the kids are ready to come back in. Let's invite them in. And in fact, we can't even hold them back anymore, can we, Cassie? Open the floodgates and let them come back in. Let's bring them in. What I want you to do is look into those faces and see a living hope that is made in Jesus Christ. This is a hope that can never spoil, never fade, never falter. It's a hope that we all share. So as they come back in, let's close in prayer, and then I'd ask you to stand and join together with our group over here who's gonna lead us in singing. Would you join me and pray? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being our living hope. Thank you for being the one who saves us every single day. Not because of what we do, but because of who you are. Thank you for giving us a new life with new choices and new possibilities and new opportunities. God, as we grow together as a family, we ask that you help us to be a part of sharing in a living hope every day. Providing encouragement or a meal or time with someone. This is what a personal relationship what Jesus Christ looks like. It is life together around your word. It is life helping each other, serving each other, sometimes even putting our desires to the side for each other. This is what it means to personally live with you every day because that personal life with you is a life that is corporate, it is shared. So God, we're tempted to think of life as something that is meant only for me. And it couldn't be more wrong. Thank you for the good news of that. Thank you for showing us a new life, a life that is truly a living hope in this life and in the life thereafter. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.